Welcome to the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast, where successful dental pros and anyone who values the power of a smile can get an edge in the dynamic worlds of healthcare and business. Hosts Chuck Cohen and Rick Cohen speak with top influencers in the world of dentistry and explore essential tools, trends worth your time, and solutions that help you practice smarter. I'm Chuck Cohen of ben- with Benco Dental, and I'm here today with Dr. Shalom Fialkoff who is in Paradise Valley, Arizona, um, and is a member of our latest class of 40 under 40. Uh, shalom. Shalom. <laughs> Thank you. Very nice to be here. Very nice to have you here. So talk a little bit about, if you would, your somewhat unusual path to uh, dentistry in a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where you grew up and how you made your way through dental school and some of the experiences you've had along the way. So I, uh, I grew up in, uh, on the East Coast in New York, New Jersey, um, and uh, about, probably about 20 years ago, my family moved to Israel. Uh, I did not follow them, but I traveled there for a bit. I ended up traveling around for a little while. I, I got some work experience. I met my wife. We ended up getting married, and then real life started. We moved to New Jersey, where I attended uh, Rutgers for undergrad. Uh, I finished, uh, I finished uh, Rutgers in about two and a half years. Uh, and then I applied to dental school, also at Rutgers. And about halfway through dental school, I kind of got a little uh, taken with the field of dentistry. And I wanted to uh, affect the field on a larger scale than just on a one-on-one level, uh, treating patients and, uh, and such. And I realized that there's a difference at what you can do as an as a individual and what you can do as a, as a, if you have a business background or if you have a legislative background, or you have an organization or a policy background. So I was looking for what I wanted to do for what I thought was going to be the next step. And I uh, was going to apply for MBA programs. And I decided that I would much rather do something that was healthcare oriented. And so I was looking for programs in public health. And I ended up getting accepted to a program at Columbia, which I was fortunate enough to be able to do in the evenings. So I would go to dental school in the mornings and the afternoons. And then at the evenings, I would drive over the bridge into New York, and I finished up a degree there in about uh, a little bit less than two years. That's fabulous. So how did you end up in Arizona? So my wife and I, we actually got married prior to either of us starting college. And when I got accepted to dental school, we figured that the amount of loans and the amount of debt that we were about to enter into was going to be such an astronomical figure. What's the difference if she started school now? (laughs) So when I started uh, dental school, she started undergrad. And then uh, she, gr- she graduated at just at the same time as I was graduating. She applied to veterinary schools. Uh, she got accepted to Phoenix. And then we moved out here about six, seven years ago. And we've been, we've been so unbelievably happy out here. Fabulous. Talk a little bit about what you learned in the Masters of Public Health uh, program that you took. And you talked a little bit before about dentistry as a career and dentistry as an industry. Talk a little bit about that and what you learned along the way. Yeah. So the public health background, it's actually, it's a really fascinating degree. It's a fascinating industry because uh, healthcare, uh, it affects not only the one-on-one clinical decision-making that you have to make a decision for how you're going to treat each individual patient, whether it's an outpatient facility, a surgical facility, or an inpatient facility, but there's a whole infrastructure behind us that has an equal, if not more important part of how dentistry or, or healthcare is delivered. There are components that are uh, administrative running a hospital and group dynamics. There's epidemiology in order to understand how diseases progress. Uh, there are health economics because at the end of the day, the vast majority of what we do is economic based. 
there are uh, components in, 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 uh, in consulting. There are components in, in designing the system itself. There's, uh, there's international uh, relationships that you can build. There's, there's policy uh, agendas that, that you that we don't even begin to understand how, how it affects. And if we look at even what's going on with the, the ADA in, in 2020, the amount of legislation that they had to pass and lobby and, and affect was, was, was just tremendous. Uh, and if you didn't have that kind of background, you wouldn't be able to ad address any of the challenges that we came, that came up on a, on a planned basis and also on a, on a pandemic basis. It's fascinating. I noticed in your profile that you've become very involved in the State Dental Association and on the legislative side, side as well in Arizona. Talk a little bit about, if you would, about that experience and what have you learned from doing that? Yeah, I, I got lucky. I happened to have fallen into it. When I first moved to Arizona, I didn't know anybody out here. And so in order to meet people, I, I really just started, I, I looked for dental groups, dental study clubs, dental organizations. I joined the American, the Dental Association, the, the Arizona Dental Association. I joined some local um, dental fraternities like Alpha Omega. And I started just, finding dentists and cold calling them. I would email them or call their offices and say, hey, I'm, I'm new in Arizona. Would, you, would it be okay if I, if I stop by your office after work one day just to learn more about the dental landscape? And uh, I would do that. And after a couple of times, I, I, can't, I, I met this, uh, this dentist. I stopped by his office a couple of times and we just started talking. His office was on the way home for me. And he, after some time, he invited me to join the Council of Governmental Affairs of the Dental Association. Uh, and not knowing anything about local politics, I, I agreed to join. And it's just been an eye-opening experience. You get to see dentistry and you see the business side of things on a much, or the legislative side of things on a, on a different scale. We, we sit down once a month, and now it's over Zoom, but we used to get together once a month, and we just hash out what, what kind of agendas does the Dental Association want to address in Arizona? Everything from uh, Medicaid reimbursement to legislative events, uh, health, health insurance transparency is, an, is a, 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 an agenda or an initiative that we're trying to pass. Um, we're trying to get uh, pregnant women to have to get Medicaid coverage for that. So there's a lot of different elements, uh, a lot of different relationship building, a lot of different ways to even craft legislation. So it's been it's been a really great experience and I'm still learning. Well, here at Benco, we encourage every dentist to join the ADA and get involved. Um, there's no substitute for organized dentistry. And I think most people don't realize how very successful the lobbying efforts of the ADA are. And one of the reasons is because most dentists, I think it's 65 to 70% of dentists are actually members of the ADA and engaged. So I can't, we can't overstate enough the importance of getting involved in the Dental Association. Yeah, it's, it's powerful when, when a lobbyist can, can approach uh, a congressman or a senator and say that we represent 70% of all the dentists that are, that, are, that are in the United States. It's much more powerful than say the American Medical Association where I think the statistics something like less than 30%. I, I, used to, I joke with patients right now that I, I tell them that politics is a very complicated field. And I got into dentistry because there's, if there's a problem, I can solve it. In politics, who knows? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Talk a little bit about some of the obstacles that you've encountered in your career, uh, from where you started as a dentist to where you are today. What's been the hardest things to overcome? I, I feel tremendously lucky in the sense that there's a lot of hard work and, and uh, uh, planning that, that you need in order to get into dental school and pass dental school and to get it and to find a, a successful job. And, and at the end of the day, you, you work hard and we tend to think that, that we're great at what we do, but there's a large element of just pure luck. And so 
I feel very lucky in the position that I am in life right now. I feel lucky that I'm a member of the, the, the Council of Governmental Affairs in Arizona. I feel lucky that the dentists that I've met here. Uh, I took a job when I first moved out to Arizona in a, in a dental office, and there were some very uh, ethically questionable offices that we were able to, that were hired. Uh, and I was always very clear about where my line is and where I don't want to, what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And I was, wasn't afraid to, to stick up for myself when I needed to. Uh, after, after about a year, I recognized that the organization that I was a part of was not the one that I wanted to make a long-term commitment to. And so I started looking to purchase a dental office, which is a, a, a natural transition for what many dentists do. Uh, and I did, I went through the traditional routes. I contacted my local brokers. I contacted the dental association. I even contacted my local, my local Banco rep, who by the way, might be the nicest person I know. Uh, Tim Schwartz. <laughs> Thank you. Tim Schwartz is awesome. We love Tim. Thank you. He's, he's, every time I see him, he gets a, a bigger and bigger smile on his face, and I don't know where he gets it from, but he's, he's absolutely amazing. Uh, so I contacted people in order to find out what the next step is. Do they know a dentist who, who might be looking to hire somebody or a dentist who's looking to sell an office? And, uh, and uh, after a while, I, I recognized that I needed to I needed to go a sort of a different route than what most people were doing. Most people were kind of looking for the brokers and just contacting whatever was posted online. But I was trying to figure out if I can use my bingo rep or my shine rep. Uh, and then I even just continued with my cold calling. And I would just find out if I can, if I can speak to somebody. At, and then one person led to the next person to the, to the office that I'm in. And it's just been a, a, a wonderful experience. I, I took over an office. I purchased an office in 2016. Uh, it was from a dentist who started the practice. His name's David Leibowitz. Uh, he started the practice in the 1980s, and he's just been a tremendous dentist. And he's had a, a practice here for almost 40 years. And uh, not everybody who has an office of four years is also a clinician to the same caliber that he is. And so being able to find the office and convincing him that he was actually ready to sell when he wasn't ready to sell, and having him stay with, working with me for about four or five years now has just been, uh, I've been so fortunate to be in that kind of situation. Uh, some of the challenges that I think that we as younger dentists need to overcome are uh, camaraderie, uh, student debt. <laughs> I think student debt is a really large issue. Um, and then advancement of, of just clinical skills. I think those are some of the most important things that we need to, we need to just address. And I thought it was great to hear you, as you tell your story. A couple of things that come out to me are number one, the importance of mentors. Sounds to me like you got very fortunate in, in getting some good mentors when you got to Arizona. Um, and um, also getting in the right situation from a practice perspective, right? I mean, that was really key to getting to where you are today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, before I purchased this office, I was very close on purchasing two other offices. And one of them, I kind of realized very late in the situation, this is very late in the, in the negotiations that it wasn't the right fit for me. And going through the whole process, you get kind of hung up on the fact that you think that this is what I want. I need to be an owner. I need to be under, under my own umbrella. I need to have complete autonomy. And you can find yourself in a situation that you didn't actually mean to be in. Um, the most dangerous part about having a, a business deal sometimes is that it actually works out. <laughs> You could be in an right. office and not recognize that it's the wrong place for four years, and all of a sudden you just wasted four years of your life. Uh, so to be in the in the situation that I'm in right now, I feel very fortunate. It allows me to do 
what I want, when I want. It allows me to focus on the things that are important to me, both clinically and, and, and personally. And so, yeah. Now, if your next question is, how do you find the right mentors? Okay. I, I don't know. Uh, some, <laughs> of it is, some of it is luck. Some of it is making an effort to go above and beyond what other people are doing. Uh, the Dental Association here does have uh, mentorship uh, availability. So if you're interested in becoming a mentor or being a mentor, you can contact them and they can try to hook you up with people. But you have to get involved. You have to put yourself out there. You have to go to local CE. You have to, you have to meet people. You have to talk dentistry. If you don't talk shop, you're never going to get better at what you're doing. No question. Well, it really starts with knowing that you need a mentor. My experience is that there are two people out, two kinds of people out there people who recognize that they really can benefit from a mentor and people who don't quite recognize that. The people who benefit from, who recognize they benefit from a mentor usually have no trouble finding the right mentor. That's not the, that's not the issue. The issue is getting over the hump of, you know, I could use help. I can learn from someone else. Not everyone has that uh, insight at an early age. Those who do, I think, tend to go farther and kudos to you for getting there quickly. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so what advice would you give to a dentist a generation younger than you who's saying, I'd like to be a 40 under 40. I'd like to have a successful practice. By the time I'm 40, I'd like to own my own practice. What advice would you give to that dentist maybe uh, just a few years out of dental school? Oh, uh, how to become a 40 under 40? I have no idea. It's a black box. <laughs> yeah, I think Tim first mentioned it to me and he encouraged me to apply. And so I filled out an application and then uh, Somebody contacted me, and it was a <laughs> it was a little bit of a of a mystery how. And uh, I'm sure there are a lot of very. I, I'm reading through the bios on the forty under forty, and it seems that everybody is incredibly uh, uh, impressive and, and inspiring. And to to be included in that list is actually kind of humbling. Uh, the advice that I give to people who want who want to be a business owner, I tell people that there's a, a very clear line. We're both a clinician, and many of us are business owners as well. And there's a clear line. There's at one point you're wearing a hat that you're the business owner. And on one hand, you're wearing the hat that you're a clinician. And those two hats can never, ever get crossed. You have to make sure that you're focusing on, on the business when you're focusing on the business. You have to figure out what the best thing to do in terms of hiring and firing and, and, and setting up uh, HR policies and which technology you want to invest in, which dental labs and how to negotiate with your vendors and uh, equipment that you want to purchase and just how you want to get your, your, your systems and your processes in place. And then you have to become a, a clinician and you have to make sure that you're an excellent clinician. Uh, the way to do that is, is knowing yourself, knowing what you want to work on, what you want to refer or aligning yourself with good organizations. I like a lot where you, there's a lot of stuff there to unpack. I like that you talked about the dentist as the CEO and the dentist as clinician. They are two different roles. And I love this idea that you can never stop learning. Too many dentists, I think, feel like their learning kind of stops at dental school or not long after. And I agree with you. You've got to keep working on your skills all the time. You've got to be excited to do that. And you've got to keep investing the time and energy in it. The most successful dentists, the ones who are the, ha who are the happiest, from my experience, are the ones who uh, pull that off very well. So kudos to you. I, I agree with that's been my experience as well. I appreciate that. Anytime. Well, thank you very much for being with us today, uh, Dr. Shalom Fieldkoff. And I appreciate very much the time. Um, and I uh, appreciate your sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you. It was very nice to be here. Thanks. It was nice meeting you. Nice to meet you too, even if it's virtually. And congratulations on your 40 under 40. Um, you very much earned it and deserve it, and we're glad to have you on the list. Thank you. Thanks for listening in. 
Don't want to miss an episode of the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast? Subscribe today on your favorite podcast app.